just stop pretending that the box exists, that you need to think outside the box. Just crush it, throw it in the garbage, pretend there, there's no box there. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, it's episode 133. Today, we're discussing how student-run ventures are changing higher education. Specifically, this episode features two individuals from Marquette University and follows the story of a new student-led venture called Blue and Gold Brewing. Now, before I go too far, I want to share some backstory. So around three months ago, a news article came across my feed that a group of students at Marquette, where I got my engineering degree a long time ago, had teamed up with local Milwaukee breweries to brew an extremely well-branded craft beer for National Marquette Day. If you're not affiliated with Marquette or know nothing about them beyond Dwayne Wade and other basketball stars that have come out of the program, I'll add some context. National Marquette Day is basically the equivalent of a university's homecoming. There's a sold-out basketball game, alumni travel in, and it's a big deal. And the beer that these students and alumni brewed is called 77 Golden Ale, a nod to Marquette's 1977 NCAA Men's Basketball Championship and their mascot, the Golden Eagles. Anyway, I think that's enough backstory you need in this intro because we'll fill in more of the blanks in this interview. But more so, I wanted to paint the picture of the weight of the situation. I mean, brewing an immediately iconic beer for your university and alumni community, all while getting real-world business experience, I knew that this was a story I was going to have to cover on this show. So here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll hear some necessary details on how Blue and Gold Brewing came to be. Now, Jackson is currently a senior at Marquette University, double majoring in real estate and finance, who is part of the four-person Blue and Gold Brewing team. And our other guest, John, works for the university as the executive director of Innovation Alley. John is going to tell you what Innovation Alley is here in a second, but my call to action for you during the start of this interview and really throughout the whole conversation is... Be thinking about how you can help any institutions, universities, or trade schools that you might be affiliated with continue to build out more real-world projects as part of their curriculums. Second, Jackson and John are going to give you an in-depth behind-the-scenes on what it was like being a part of the Blue and Gold Brewing Project. You'll hear stories, lessons learned, and finally, the third thing you can expect toward the end is a discussion on how real-world experiences like this one play a part in the future of higher education. The conversation we had surprised me, and it might surprise you as well, so definitely stick around until the end. As always, if you want to learn more about anything we talk about, like Blue and Gold Brewing, Innovation Alley, or let's say all the breweries in Milwaukee that were involved in this project, you're going to hear more about them here in a bit. Go to the show notes page, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 133 will take you right there for this episode. And before I jump in, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. I know our regular listeners, you've been hearing about them quite a bit on the show lately. They've got their big automate show taking place in Detroit on May 22nd through 25th, 2023. Register for that for free if you're part of the manufacturing, the automation world. If you're looking to leverage new solutions, you want to be going to this event. 
I'll be there covering the whole event, and you can register for free today by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023. And as always, if you're listening to this episode in the future, if it's after May 2023, hey, A3 is always throwing events. You can access anything they're doing at automate.org. And of course, you know, Manufacturing Happy Hour is going to be involved in other events as well. So anyway, with that, it's time to head to the brewery. That's right. We're back doing more in-person interviews. And today, we're at Broken Bat Brewing in Milwaukee. So let's head on back there to meet up with John and Jackson. All right. Perfect. Hey, let's start it off okay. with the cheers. All right. Cheers, guys. We're diving right in. Hmm. <laughs> 77 Golden Ale, the only appropriate beer for this interview, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, as, as we get going, I've got a, a separate question for each of you as we kick things off. John, I'm going to start with you. Sure. In the spirit of manufacturing happy hour, having candid conversations over a drink, simplifying topics. How do you describe what Innovation Alley does as if we're having a beer with one another? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the core of Innovation Alley is getting students outside their traditional disciplines and getting them together, getting them learning together, uh, getting them having experiences. At the end of the day, we, we educate students in these academic silos because that's how higher ed evolved for good reason. Um, but you know, there's a difference between that and what they step out to in the real world. Um, so it's really, it's anchored in the idea of business and engineering, but it's not meant to be exclusive. And it's, it's really about applied learning. It's about interdisciplinarity and, and building, I think, opportunities that create value uh, to the education they're going to get at Marquette. And we're going to get more into Innovation Alley as we get later in the interview. We're going to get more into Blue and Gold Brewing as we get in the interview. But, you know, Jackson, I want to hear your elevator pitch on gold, uh, Blue and Gold Brewing. So same type of question. You, you bump into someone at the bar and they're like, what's this, what's this Blue and Gold Brewing thing that these college students are doing? How do, how do you answer that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've gotten quite a bit of practice with that so far. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think I'd started out by saying it's, it's a student-run business that's kind of created and led by Marquette and Marquette alumni. Um, legally, obviously, it's a different entity. It's own company. Um, but I'd say it's a collaboration with the goal of giving students real-world learning experience in the craft brewing industry. Um, and you really get to... I think a really big focus of it is seeing the starting and growth of business and a product from throughout the whole product life cycle. I mean... When we joined up, when I, when I got got on board, I mean, <laughs> the idea was there. The official business hadn't even been filed completely yet. Like, they're like, "Hey, this is the plan. This is the idea. You guys have to take it and run with it. We don't have anything yet besides you guys and the idea." Yeah, I'll just add that a lot of students are like, "Well, what exactly is this going to be?" And I'm like, "Well, here's the general idea, <laughs> but we're going to kind of build this thing as we go." And I, I think that's the entrepreneurial experience right there when you think about it. I, I was going to say, that's that's a pretty real world experience given that any entrepreneurial entrepreneurial experience is you're like building the plane as it's going down the jetway. So that's about as real world as it gets there. I, I should note, after my first conversation with John, <laughs> when he was saying brewers, I thought he was referring to the Milwaukee <laughs> Brewers, the baseball team. <laughs> yes, yes. I could see that being confusing here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we're enjoying this at Broken Bat Brewing. One of the breweries involved in the project. More on that in a second. But, you know, let's let's go back to you, John, and get a little more baseline around Innovation Alley, right? Because this is really, let, let's say, the 
the part of Marquette that made this possible. So if you can tell us a little bit more, what's the origin story behind Innovation Alley? Yeah, I think it's good to know the origin story because it helps show, you know, where where the concept started and where it is today. And um, if you ask a lot of people, they're going to be like, that was that building you're going to build between engineering and business, right? <laughs> and, and, and that's what we wanted, you know, to call it. The concept was have a physical space where these two colleges that in the real world, these fields are colliding all the time. Well, they could collide during an undergraduate, you know, or a graduate, graduate education. Uh, obviously, you know, campus uh, space use and all those things and, you know, building new buildings and capital projects are not necessarily a straightforward um, you know, a straightforward matter on a university campus. Um, but this idea never kind of went went away. Uh, people really grasped to it. You know, we had we had some supporters that were uh, philanthropically supportive of the idea. And so what you saw for a long time were programs uh, in the spirit of Innovation Alley developing in the various colleges. So just an example is the uh, E-Lead program that has really grown within the engineering school focused on innovation leadership, but now is open to all students. You know, that was really an innovation in the spirit of Innovation Alley. You've seen, um, you know, the executive education group in business uh, create a program called Bridge to Business for Engineers, right? That we know most engineers, they'll go out and as they rise up the ranks in the first couple of years, next thing they realize, I, I need this business education I never got because I, <laughs> yeah. I have to understand the connection. So, um, you know, ultimately where we're at today is, uh, you know, a decision was made to continue to, 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 to drive Innovation Alley forward. And, and, and that was going to be done through uh, an actual position, you know, that mm-hmm. was going to lead that initiative and work on it. And I just happen to be lucky enough that um, that's the role I get to play in uh, every day. So, you know, we're still in many ways young in what we're doing, um, but we're, we are really focused on, you know, the applied learning opportunities, you know, the multidisciplinarity. And I think what I've seen it creating, and I think this is reflected in the program, is really unique new collaborations that maybe we couldn't quite pursue in the same way before, you know? Sure. So we're finding everything from, uh, you know, you know, international companies all the way down to local alumni support, uh, run and supported breweries who, who want to do unique things with us. And now we have a really cool opportunity to pursue that. Yeah. And, and, and I wanted to hear the story behind, uh, blue and gold brewing as well. Cause I think one of the interesting things about it is I, I have my own vision of what the origin story might've looked like, you know, four business students sitting around at the college bar being like, you know what, we should start a brewery <laughs> as a project. So I might be wrong about that. So Jackson, how did Blue and Gold Brewing get started as part of it, like one of the most tangible thing, uh, things I've seen from Innovation Alley so far. Yeah, I guess it would. It's definitely a little different than most people would expect. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, I gotta say it wasn't quite that different. It's just they were all alumni. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. and not current, good current students. Alumni, uh, okay. Yeah, but no, I mean, I, I just kick it off from the the front end. Is is it was it was the alumni brewers that wanted to do this. Cool. Yeah, you know they wanted to do this, um, and. We, we saw it as a unique idea, not to steal your answer, because I'm going to pass good. it to you. But we said, we don't want to just put a label on a can. Like, if we want to make it, you know, uniquely Marquette, like, it's got to be a learning experience. It's got to involve students, you know? And so, you know, that was where the idea of, could this be a student-run business, you know, really, really came from was the idea that, like, we could do this really unique project, but we could really engage the students in it. Interesting. So what's, I want to hear your side of the story yeah, still. No, Jackson. thank you. Thank you, John. <laughs> so it, it's a weird, weird world we live in today. Twitter. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm aware, my knowledge of the, the start of this blue and gold brewing began on Twitter. And uh, I think two alumni 
um, who ended up becoming part of this project and kind of pushing for it, saw a tweet from a popular Marquette sports fan um, who follows sports, Marquette sports and tweets about it. And people are really engaged. And it was a picture of the Panther Pilsner, which is the UW-Milwaukee's. I remember this. Yeah. yeah. Beer um, on a menu at a, at, a, at a bar in Milwaukee and said, hey, why doesn't Marquette have one of these? And these two guys texted each other and were like, hey, we should probably try to do something like this. And I, I as far as I'm aware, my, to the extent of my knowledge, I think it took them a little bit to find the right people like John. <laughs> um I think they hit some dead ends and, and eventually got connected and say, these two people are the, are the people that will make it happen. And that was John Knapp and Paul Jones. And, and what from, breweries are they affiliated with again? So one was Tim here okay. at yep. Broken Bat. And the other one was actually Kevin Brower, who works for a company called Flowtech. And he runs um, kind of one of their, their sub-market com- sub companies called DraftGuard, which is yeah. his relevance to the brewing industry. Yep. Um, and I think that that was really the kickstart. Yeah, those were the first two. And then it expanded. Yeah. Um, so they got going in their network because they know all the other Marquette affiliated people that work in the beer business, you know. And, yeah. Uh, it ended up then uh, we had a good city come on board. Um, David was a, a law graduate, I believe. Yes. Um, and then Joe Yato, uh, the founder of Gathering Place, mm-hmm. um, also also got, you know, connected to us. So So we ended up with these kind of anchor uh, breweries and Broken Bat, Gathering Place, and, and Good City. Yeah, so with those three iconic breweries in the Milwaukee scene, all with Mar- Marquette connections, which is also wonderful, a couple things I want to say for our audience out there. You know, I love that this was actually an alumni idea, but they looked at it as, hey, how do we get students involved in this to make it a real-world learning opportunity? I don't know how often that happens in this day and age, but I certainly hope that's something that listeners out there take away from this that are also, you know, maybe involved in their alma maters and things like that. The other thing is businesses starting on Twitter. It's not the first time I've heard a story <laughs> like that. I feel like that happens more frequently. Like, uh, you know, you funny expect. enough, we're here at a brewery right now, untapped the app for checking in the craft beers that you drink. I think that was also like a Twitter huh. conversation that uh, got the co-founders connected. So interesting. So yeah, a lot of real world stuff from this so far. So, okay. So the alumni were the ones that, uh, that really kind of got this rolling, you know, how did, how did this get formalized then into an alumni idea that said, Hey, let's start taking the steps to make this happen. I yeah. guess that would have been involved getting involved with you, John. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. I, I got to give a lot of credit to my uh, coworker, Paul Jones. Um, he immediately got completely fired up about this idea. <laughs> and he, and you know, he asked me, he's like, do you want to be part of this? And I was like, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we knew making it a learning experience was core. You know, that was what was going to make it a Marquette experience. But then there were questions of how, how do we even, you know, set this up? Um, and, and it just, you know, Marquette, we, we've had student-run ventures in the past, student-run businesses. Um, like many, many organizations, COVID kind of, you know, really harmed the ones we had. They weren't really sustainable. Um, so, but we saw this as a different and unique model, right? So, um, what we ended up doing was establishing um, a, a separate legal entity called mm-hmm. Blue and Gold Ventures, um, and then you know the, a board of directors was built for that. Uh, m- almost all you know Marquette supporters and alumni, and then so Blue and Gold 
uh, Blue and Gold Brewing became the LLC within that. And that became the legal company um, that we could hire the students through. You know, the interesting collaboration then is like we, Innovation Alley, I began talking to the College of Business, like who, who are the students that are going to like lean into this and get really involved in this? And so like we were really putting the business together as we were like trying to launch the students into doing the work. Um, and, and so that's what was really fun and, and unique about it. And, and I do think, um, you know, to some extent, I haven't seen this model, you know, anywhere else. And then there's a lot of factors about the way we thought the business would play out that made it, you know, attractive from a risk perspective. It's like, okay, are Marquette alumni going to want to buy a Marquette affiliated beer? Mm -hmm. That's a yes, right? I mean, yeah. we knew we, we knew we yeah. had a, a yeah. we knew we had a, a market segment, but you know what people have to understand is how much work our students did to to tap into that. I mean, I don't think they could have come up with a better brand. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was great that the basketball team was having an amazing season. Yeah, but like. Yep. You know, we told them it's got to be something that hits people in the heart, you know? And so all of the design decisions like that you see around the branding and, and how they wanted to position the beer. I mean, that was all the students like with minimal input, um, you know, from from the beer board, just kind of giving them some guide points. So so let's get into this then a little bit. I've, Jackson, I've got a number of questions for you as we get into this, because as I was looking at this, I mean, you were really involved in like every aspect of the craft beer brewing process, right? We're talking market research, product selection, naming, supply chain, finance, graphic design, ev like literally everything, not just, yeah. you know, coming up with a cool name, making the beer and distributing it on National Marquette Day. Um, so I, I guess my question is, let, let's, let's start with a fun one. How did you come up with the name? around it and things like that like let's let's start with it where where like the name and the style let's go there okay um <clears throat> i think the style came first so we'll start with that um so pretty much everyone involved um the, the brewers the beer mentor the the brew board um paul jones john those of us who hitched a ride along the way <laughs> <laughs> free beer <laughs> we actually met together upstairs here okay and um I think a couple of the uh, the brewers had grabbed a variety of different four packs of a variety of different beers and different types and 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 different flavor accents and all sorts of stuff and um, so we just basically started pouring them and going around the table and trying them and giving mm -hmm. our thoughts and saying yeah the too strong too selective of a flavor and I think ultimately what we came to was first of all the idea that we wanted to go with something that that would be that would basically be suitable for anyone to enjoy yeah even if you're not the biggest beer fan but you like don't mind it or even if you don't really like beer but you want to try it you might still be able to like it and i th i think we really ended up hitting that nail on the head um and so we ended up kind of saying like we really like this cream ale we really like this golden ale um and so we kind of want to do something mixing these two together mm -hmm. um and then i mean I don't know what the the popular belief is about this, but we are the students were not professional brewers prior to this. So mm -hmm. the head brewers of uh, I believe this is how it kind of came together of the of the three breweries kind of worked together, drafted a recipe, brewed it, and it was pretty much all we hoped it to be and more. Um, but yeah, it is a gold nail, but I think we we have a little bit of a cream ale in there as well. Yeah, um, and then going into the name, yeah, it was. Honestly, simpler than, than I thought, personally. Simpler than I thought it would be. Um, you know, a lot of names, you're like, come up, like, oh, that's a cool idea, but now let's just come up with something better. The Me, the, the, the three other students and myself ended up meeting um, in Innovation Alley at Marquette in mm -hmm. a conference from there and just sat down with a dry erase board and our computers and just threw names and ideas out there. Um, even some wacky ones like... 
um, regarding the Warriors or the Avalanche, which Marquette were previously known as, sure. which weren't necessarily serious, but just to get the ideas flowing. And we started with, like, we liked the basketball theme from the start. So we were looking at basketball, jerseys, team names, player names, everything. And we were like, okay, well, they won last time in 77, the NCAA National Championship. So we're thinking that's that's something. That could be something. And then it's a gold nail slash cream nail. Just and call it a golden nail. We're the golden eagles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were thinking golden eagles. And then we're like, what about 77 golden? 77 gold. Yeah. And we went through a couple different iterations of that and ended on 77 gold nail and kind of presented it to the brew board and to everyone involved. And they're all, I mean, everyone loved it. Did it like, just feel right? It, it did. That, okay. It did. Because I, I like all the Certainly. detail that you went through there and coming up with the right brand. But once you landed on it, you're like, this is it. Yeah, it at yeah. least that's the sense I got from your story. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think we just knew, you know, anyone, a lot of Marquette people are, are basketball fans or they're at the very least Marquette basketball fans. Right. And so I think we, we knew that it would be popular. We knew that people would at least have a general idea of what we were trying to hit there. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was a home run and we mm -hmm. kind of, we kind of told them like first time around, it's gotta be a home run. You know, people got to know, yeah. you know, if you look at the beer, it doesn't, it doesn't say Marquette beer anywhere. Right. You know, right. uh, because it's, cause it's I a, actually just realized yeah, that, now that you pointed it it's out. It's affiliated like, <laughs> with Marquette, <laughs> yeah. but, but it, you know what? We were not using the Marquette logo. Right. Um, and so it was like, it's gotta be so obvious, you know, <laughs> what this beer is about. Yeah, and who's it's who it's connected to, and they and they killed it. Like, yeah, they couldn't have done a better job. You know, I, I remember at one point you talked about cold. We on the on the on the top you'll see uh, cold gold and bold. And oh, for a yeah. while, that was the name for a little bit. I think, uh, we, yeah, we, we were like played that. around with that. But at so the end of the day, it's a good rim around the can yeah. slogan. I'll put it that yep, way. Yeah. Or maybe an iteration in the future if you if Blue and Gold Brewing sure. does another beer. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of jumped ahead there, right? You know, because the name, the style—that's the really exciting part. But mm. I rattled off all the other things that go into brewing. So correct. Yeah. You know, one of my questions, Jax, maybe you lead off on this one, and then John, sure. you fill in as well. Okay. But like, how do you put it? timeline and a structure around something like this to ensure its likelihood of success, right? What what were the things you did early on to make sure that, hey, there's a timeline that we can achieve before this big basketball game that Marquette is playing in in February? Okay. I think from the start, I think we did a good job, maybe not the students per se, but more the, so the, the beer board, the beer mentors. They did a good job of, of setting the most important tasks up front at first. They said, yeah, we got to do all this stuff later on, but we can't do any of that until we do this. We choose the type of beer. We kind of, I mean, even, even the labeling, you know, you really can't get our designs and everything out there to be marketing if we have no idea what the beer is going to be called, mm -hmm. what it's going to look like. Because our, our hope was to be able to hint to people, get people excited, put little seeds out there for them to pick up and be like, oh, okay, I think, I think something's going on here. Ultimately, we worked together. We had a, quite a few, um, like basically all staff meetings and put together kind of the stages that we needed to go through. So that included initial marketing. Um, I mean, really everything, but creating that plan was what allowed us to actually focus on things instead of just being completely overwhelmed by all the different tasks that we had to get done and having each student or each member of the group working on different things. Cause that was a concern that I had at first is like, I, I don't know what to do here. I don't know mm -hmm. what I should focus on now. And I think with input from 
from everyone in the group, all of the professionals at Marquette in the beer industry, the beer mentor, they really clarified what we needed to focus on. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we were able to say, okay, here's our, here's going to be our schedule. We're going to do this, this, this draw, drew up our social media plan, which surprisingly enough, drawing out a plan from start to launch at, at, before we even started posting anything was immensely helpful. Yeah. Because we, we were able to see what we needed to do and then know where we needed to focus our time at certain periods. And along the way, we saw what kind of reactions we were getting from what we were posting, and we were able to sort of critique the things we were posting in order to get um, more attraction. And mm. I think having a little bit of difference on the different social media platforms where we posted and the way we worded things and, the, and what we actually posted image-wise, I think it I think it really allowed us to uh, figure out what would work best. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, to follow up on that, you think about learning in a college environment, it's really structured. You got learning outcomes, you have a syllabus. I mean, that's all been designed to take a student and kind of take them from where they are when they start a class and where they're going to be at the end. There's a lot of ambiguity in a project like this. Right. And, and, and what, what, what the, the students had to do, and they did really, really well, was they leaned into the fact that this was uh, discovery-driven learning. And they had the people to ask the questions to. And, they, and at first, I, would, I, I, you know, I think you would agree, like, once it got going, it got going. But at first, yeah. there's, there's a lot of ambiguity. Like, mm -hmm. But you have to start asking questions. You have to start ch charting out a path. Um, and I think that's that real-world experience that's going to benefit the students when they go into a job in the real world. Um, and, I, and I hope that provided that to you guys. Uh, but I have to say, the beer board was phenomenal. So much learning had to have had to happen, and they they responded. You know, they were always available, always interacting with the students. You know, so they could come up with a question out of nowhere, and they could get an answer. And then Chuck Swoboda, who acted as the beer mentor on the project, mm -hmm. was just great at asking them, the students, really difficult questions. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and Chuck has some experience in the beer industry, so he knew he knew how to push it further. You know, and I think I really appreciate him for that, for coming in and kind of taking where we were, but just challenge them, challenge them even more to even push like where, where we thought, I mean, he pushed me where we mm -hmm. thought we could take it. And, and yeah, that was sure. so, so valuable for, for sure. us. And to, to hit on Chuck real quick, I think one of the biggest things that, that he was incredibly good at that helped us to, to clear up that ambiguity was, and this can be annoying for most people, but it is extremely effective and unannoying with Chuck. He will answer your question with the right question that yeah. prompts your mind and you start thinking <laughs> and you're like, wow, I had the only answer in my head. Like I, okay, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny that you bring up Chuck. Some of our longtime listeners of manufacturing happy hour might remember him from like back in episode 13 or something like that. Um, and we did it actually a live podcast in front of an audience. It's harder to answer questions Chuck asks you when it's a tough question <laughs> in front of like a yeah. hundred people. Yeah, so uh, uh, I, I know exactly what you're saying when he does a good job of asking the right questions. And, you know, to recap some of the things I learned from what you were saying, you know, you had the beer board, you had mentors, you had that group of people to tap into to clear up ambiguity. But also, you know, just starting, you know, learning how to ask the right questions, which arguably is the most valuable thing anyone can learn for their career. Um, just cool hearing how those things played in there and how you had the right group of mentors, because, you know, that's the type of thing that when someone leaves college or even when they're in college, for example, it's about finding those people that can help you take your yeah. career to the next level. Yeah, so 100%. cool to hear about how 
important they were to this part of the process. You know, I want to like reflect a little bit on classroom learning as sure. well. So Jackson, mm -hmm. another yeah. question for you, you know, was there a part of the project where you were like, wow, this feels completely different from something that I learned in the classroom. This is not what I expected, but this provided the learning opportunity for that. I think there were a lot of points throughout, throughout this process when I, when I thought that and I felt that. I think I've, I've always kind of been an entrepreneurial spirit. So that's the stuff I've pursued in work and in jobs, internships, that sort of thing prior to this point. So I've kind of had that feeling quite a bit through my experiences. But this was different in the sense that it was real. It, it was all out there. It wasn't, it wasn't, okay, suppose you're in this business and you're running this and you have to do this or going through a simulation in class or group projects or anything like that. It was completely different. And the fact that that the people in charge, people in charge or whatever you want to say, such as John and everyone else, the people who were more senior to us, more like adult, if you want to Had say their that. degrees supporters, in already. Supporters, yeah. supporters, supporters. Yeah. <laughs> Our supporters were, were very confident and open and relaxed with letting us know that they believed that we were going to figure this out. We were going to do it, that we had the, we had what it took to do it. And I think just knowing that whatever we decided they were cool with, I think having that confidence was, was really helpful. And, you know, I think that might be something that isn't as instilled um, in every class or by mm -hmm. every professor. There, obviously there are the, the people that stick out and do that really well. Um, it was it's a different it was a different risk risk yeah. you know calculation versus what you get in the classroom i think and for sure yeah i don't know I, you know what i appreciated about it is you know i saw a lot of learning in you guys and i mentioned this but you could have just been part of it and you could have just said oh cool i got to be on this beer project that was cool you know hang that on your awesome college experience yeah. hat but you didn't you guys didn't stop there you wanted to learn and you leaned into it and like that i mean that Right in there is a learning lesson of you're going to get what you put into it. And, you know, these, as far as I know, you guys really didn't know each other much, even no. the students, before we literally threw them on a team together and said, here's your challenge. <laughs> how, you know? did, how did these four students come together? I have to ask that, right? Uh, truthfully, recommendations from faculty. Okay. Because you know, um, I, I, a lot of the stuff I do in Innovation Alley, because I, I, we're growing, I rely on faculty recommendation because they know these students so well. And I'd have to say, this is probably a kudos to Marquette faculty. It's not just, well, they're getting a good grade in my class. It's more, they're this type of person. Mm -hmm. And you do need a type of person to want to be involved in this um, if you want it, A, to be successful. But if you want them to get the most out of it, they can get too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I would say, that, I mean, I, I personally got drawn into it from an, an email sent, sent out by one of my professors. He sent it out to the whole class. Hey, if anyone's interested in working on a student-run beer business... <laughs> Your project. Uh, <laughs> let me know. And at the time, I was I was considering getting a like a uh, an internship during during the semester in like commercial real estate. And I'm like, I can do real estate the rest of my life if that's what I end up going into. This sounds pretty awesome. Um, I'm gonna at least say yes and try to get more information yeah. about it. Yeah. And yeah. I guess it got passed on from one of my professors to another my another one of my professors, and then up to John. And I mean. We had an initial discussion over yep. the phone after playing phone tag for about a week. And it was, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm more of an intuition interviewer. So, <laughs> sure. I, you know, sure. I, I sat down and, you know, I just like, why, why would you want to do this? Well, this is what it's going to be about. Like, why, why would you, would you be interested in this? And, you know, I just, I like to get a vibe for the person. Um, 
you know, so I'm not going to pretend we had some, you know, immaculate uh, interview process and we, we whittled it down. And no, I think, you know, for this one, it was having the right people and, you know, call it serendipity, but we, we had that on the team. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense. Throwing your hat in the ring is half the battle a yeah. lot of times, yeah. right? And just raising your hand when a, an opportunity that looks cool comes your way and you yeah. want to explore it more. I would yeah. touch on real quick something that really helped team wise was we were all like, I think similar people to a certain extent, but all very different in our interests. And I think our specific talents when it came to putting this project together and doing, doing the work, I think we all presented a really different perspective from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the disagreements that we had and the agreements that we had and, and the problem solving really allowed us to, to function really well as a team. Yeah. And I, I mean, luck, call it luck, call it John's a genius. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's definitely not that. <laughs> it's definitely not that. Well, I think, I mean, one of the lessons I've learned over time, it's like, you know, if, if your co-founder or your business partners, whatever they are, if they have the same skill set, background, worldview that you have, you're probably in trouble. You want to find people yeah. that bring those different perspectives. And I think it's really cool that you articulated that, hey, you know, you had similarities, but you're also bringing something different to the table. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Traction. Now, I just got to know this company not too long ago after interviewing their founder, Igor Marinelli, on this podcast. Traction is an all-in-one hardware software solution that integrates condition monitoring IoT sensors and an asset management software, and it's all designed to make maintenance more streamlined, reliable, and profitable. Honestly, after hearing Igor's story, this doesn't come as a surprise, seeing as how he too worked on a maintenance team at a paper mill and has since been on a mission to empower frontline workers. Igor and the team at Traction are doing this through a predictive maintenance solution that is the most advanced on the market due to their patented USPTO-recognized fault detection technology. By having accurate and actionable data and by preventing faults before they actually happen, Traction is saving manufacturers an average of $10 million per trimester. If you want to learn more about Traction, head to Traction.com. And if you want to hear Igor's full story and why he believes frontline workers are at the center of manufacturing innovations, then tune into episode 127 by going to ManufacturingHappyHour.com slash 127 or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to today's episode. You know, I want to. I want to try to solicit or elicit another story from this as, as I'm thinking about it. I've got to think there were moments where you might have been thinking to yourself, "There's no way we're going to pull this off. What are we going to do?" <laughs> like, can can you share like a story of a challenge that you encountered during the project and and how you overcame it or what you learned from it? Go for it. I'd, I'd be interested to hear it. <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. I'm not thinking of. I'm curious if you have any ideas here. Yeah, did anything bleed over that you heard about, John? No, I mean, you know, I'm going to be honest. Like, you know, um, we always saw this as a learning project. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously concerns about college students and alcohol. Now, everyone on the team was 21. Mm -hmm. But we worried about that, you know, because we didn't want the perception to be that this was just about beer. You know, I mean, the beer's sure. the end product. Um, but I, full disclosure, we, we got a lot of support across, across our university campus. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, you know, Dr. Lovell once... You know, he heard about it and learned more about it. He was really supportive of it. Um, and so I, I was just, that was a, pr a problem I, I perceived having worked in the university campus for a long time. We might, we might run into. Sure. 
Um, but the level of, you know, um, the way, the way the students brought themselves to the product, the seriousness that they took it, um, you know, I knew, I knew right away it was going to be, it was going to be a win. So I don't think besides those initial hesitations, I mean, we, we probably had the same ones you did. Like when the beer's getting brewed and you got your marketing going and yeah. you kind of see a buzz, but you know, yeah. they're, where are we going to be able to get it? Can we get in Pfizer? If we can't get, where are we? I mean, there was a point, I think all of us were like, is this really happening? Is it going to happen? Yeah. What, what wrong might happen? Right. Like you start thinking about that. Sure. Uh, and then I just know for, for, from my perspective, uh, the day I, I I walked over to the deer district on national Marquette day, I took one peek in good city and saw all the 77s laying around. I was like, Uh, I think we're in a good space. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I was one of those 77s at good city (laughs) that day to be very clear. So no, it was, uh, I mean, as an alumni, when I saw it, I'm like, this is a home run. I can't wait to drink this and things like that. So, Okay, so it was kind of were you know maybe some concerns on how is this whole thing going to play out? Yeah, just perceptions. You know, I I mean, I knew how we were approaching it, and I knew that the learning was front and center, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really that was front and center the whole time, and the learning was amazing uh, for the students. Um, Yeah, so as much as you know, you have hesitations. um, Mine were unfounded, I think, in the long run. I I mean, I'd love to hear though if you had a moment you were stressed out, or the team was stressed out, or Or you're pulling an all night or something like that. I think. <laughs> I mean, I just think back to my projects. There were some where I certainly wasn't getting the sleep that I needed during that time. <laughs> so, you know, it was so to hit that point real quick. I would say this whole journey, this whole process, was honestly a blast. Knowing what it was once we started meeting, getting in there, I thought it was going to be a, a lot more work than it actually was. And you know what? That could just be because I enjoyed the work, yeah. because I was passionate about it, and and we were building something. And I, I, I do believe that it was it, but it really, most of it didn't really feel like work. Um, it was really enjoyable. Well, I, I got a, I got another question then in this, th- this one is what did it feel like to get the finished product <laughs> out there? Right? Like I want to hear, you kind of shared some of your perspective yeah. already, John Jackson. I want to hear it from you as, oh. as one of the, one of the four students in the project. It was surreal uh, to say the least. So earlier, I, a week or so before actual launch was when the beer was finally like ready. So it wasn't, it wasn't a long time. Like we, we were, we were on a, a quick schedule. Yeah. Ales don't take that long. So to- <laughs> <laughs> <Sort of> longer. <laughs> and, uh, I think the, uh, the students and I, the other students and I on the team, um, we all went to a good city where the beer had been brewed and met there with, um, Paul Jones and, uh, a market photographer, and we tasted the beer for the first time and we're taking pictures and just trying to get some good content. And we were all just like giddy, like just happy, laughing. Yeah, you got to like, see these pictures. <laughs> they were pumped. I do, I do. They were just so pumped. And I think that was the first like kind of surreal moment when we're all like, holy, like, holy cow, like, wow. Like we actually like, this is, this is here. Like, yeah. and, and it's good. <laughs> like, oh yeah. my gosh. And, and then on launch day, we all were kind of doing something different to a certain extent, the students, student wise. So there were two like alumni events, one, a young alumni event and one normal alumni event. One was at the Mecca and one was at, uh, red, white, and blue. And I was at the Mecca with Gracie. We were selling shirts and if you bought a shirt, we'd get you a koozie with it. Just giving out koozies, like just having a good time talking to people. And then I got to speak there as well. Um, in front of like, 
400 people, which I've never done before. So it was scary, <laughs> but it was really, it was just exciting and surreal. And my family was there and I was so glad they were able to come and watch me. And just the fact that like Marquette, like specifically John and Paul and, and these brewers and the people who, who made this happen, it was a very, very different experience from anything else I've done internship wise, work wise, with anything else through Marquette. And I think I know for a fact that the three other students can attest to that as well. And that this is something that is, I mean, you know, it's not going to change. It most likely won't change the entire, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that actually, cause I'm like, have a different job <laughs> ideas and stuff right now. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, Wheels are turning. It, it was huge. It was a once in a lifetime experience and it was way, way, way more than I ever thought it would have come to be. Yeah. Um, so launch day was just surreal. I still haven't, I still think about it. I'm like, wow, that was crazy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, things aligned. I mean, you're yeah. working, you're working with three different breweries. You're working with, you know, university personnel. You're working with, you know, uh, we're, we're working internally with, uh, our, our sports people Learfield that we work with. We're working with the Pfizer. We're working with, you know, Beachwood, who is the distributor for, I mean, so like, this is not like a straightforward, like the, this is created and it just shows up places, you know, it was, it was really amazing. I, I was as impressed to see, and as as honestly excited to to see it come to life. I mean, when you work in higher education, you get to do some amazing stuff. Universities are awesome. Uh, a project like this, did I ever think that I would be part of a project like this? No, of course not. You know, I think I said the other day, like this is one of the coolest student learning uh, related projects I've ever been on in my career. So, I mean, I I feel just as lucky that we were able to, you know, all come together, all these different entities, and make this experience happen. Super cool. Well, I've got a few wrap up questions as we get towards the end here. One of them is, you know, Jackson, you were part of a four person team, and I'm curious, Correct, how yeah. was everyone else able to kind of follow this and learn from it? There are a lot of other students at Marquette, right? So, you know, how are other people able to learn? And maybe, John, you can talk to this. You mentioned a little yeah. bit at the start, like what other programs are there to get that real world experience? Yeah, I mean, we're so in terms of the beer uh, project directly, uh, you know, we're currently still in the process of what sustainability look like. I mean, our goal is to run a similar model every year, um, similar team size. I mean, we want we want many students to be able to be interested and, and, and put their name in the hat, but mm -hmm. uh, the quality of this experience is kind of reflected, I think, in the in the more boutique and smaller nature of it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's creating a, a replicable model of ways that we can kind of approach this. Um, so I'll just say, you know, this is always going to be a project. I, th I think we'll continue to explore um, other projects potential product lines maybe okay um i think the other thing i'll say is like this is just one student run business we think there are many student run businesses out there that could come into life um and so that's where where more of it exists and i and i would just then again say you know innovation alley we're getting things going um but my goal is to build out you know rich applied opportunities and so one of the one of the programs i'm, I'm running right now it's called the interchange and it's literally we we partner with an organization that has a challenge. It's multidisciplinary. We go out. We build the student team from around the various areas on campus where we think that multidisciplinary team can work on that project. And then they step into that, that same idea, that discovery-driven problem-solving. Every The context can be completely different, um, but that's been a really exciting pilot for me because I see the same type of learning that this, this program was supporting. Um, happening in, in, in these other projects and, and these these vary greatly uh and I, I had a student say i mean i could work i could work in the cafeteria or i could work on something like this right and yeah. I, that's kind of the idea right yeah. and and so i do think i will say last thing i will say is uh, i think student compensation is really important mm -hmm. they're doing a lot of real work 
Uh, they deserve to be compensated for that. And it, it also creates equity mm. and creates access. Mm-hmm. Um, so a student who has to work at the coffee shop, uh, if I'm not able to pay them for an opportunity, they may have to keep that job. They may not be able to do that. And I, I, I just think it's a, Great a way to get more inclusive with the types of students that can be engaged. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I think it would have been really hard, um, you know, time-wise to, to commit to something like this. Well, you know, especially if you're weighing your major, right? You're yeah. looking at real estate, right? You're like, yeah. well, do I do this and not get paid? Uh, theoretically, right? Yeah, Obviously, yeah. this is paid, right? Do I do this or do I do the real estate job that would get me paid, right? So yeah. I, I think it totally makes sense. I'm glad you brought up that point. You know, one one thing I want to ask, and this is because I'm an engineering sure. student. I think I saw in this cohort, it was four business students. It, it was, how, yeah. How do we break down the walls no, between, a, between colleges and get engineering that's, students that's, and other majors that's involved? That's a great, great <laughs> question. I think this project lent itself to, to business students and uh, Gracie was our designer. And so she came from comms, joint, joint program between Myad and College Communication. She was fantastic. Um, some other projects of a more technical nature I've worked on, and those have included you know, electrical engineering students interacting with marketing students and business students. So I, I think those opportunities live in a more, a different space. You know, mm-hmm. I think this, this project, um, you know, unless we were developing a new technology, you know, I, but, but I'll say building. again though, but I will say again, I have no qualms with an engineering student saying, I want to be part of this because I can bring valuable skills, you know, that may be partially disciplinary, but may just be the skills I have to bear on a project because I can manage and I can lead and I can communicate. And we often forget how important those skills are mm-hmm. in the workplace, you know, because yeah. when, when you're in college, it's, it's your major. But when you leave college, it's kind of your major and then all the other things you can do really well that make you a leader. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've never been opposed to the idea that just because I study engineering or I study history, I shouldn't be, I, that should exclude me from an applied project. Sure. hundred percent. I, I hundred percent agree with that. And I mean, not only do they have value, valuable skills and experiences to bring to the table, but no matter who you are, this, any sort of experience like this in applied learning, working with other students and, and learning along the way with other people, you're going to take an immense amount of experiences that are valuable to you. Um, in a variety of different ways away from it. I mean, yeah. And I, the, only, the only thing I want to add though, too, is I, I don't want people to think that there's not applied learning throughout Marquette because there is. Mm-hmm. Students get it in their classes and they, you know, it's, it's all over. You know, I get that question about Innovation Alley. So it's like Innovation Alley, where innovation lives in Marquette. Absolutely not, right? It, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not my job to control innovation. You know, so, so it's just, I think this was such a unique, unique way where it was so completely devoid of the traditional academic curricula and context of the classroom that it made it, it did make it quite novel in that sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, touching on that, yeah, it, it exists all over. I mean, obviously, you know, business is kind of um, yep. th- there. People think of business, they think of innovation that obviously to a certain extent, engineering in the same sense. Yep. And reference to the business school, Marquette, I mean, they started the first real estate asset program. Yep. So it's like an AIM program, which Marquette also has applied investment management. But it's a student-run investment team and they look at um, commercial real estate properties, whether that's multifamily, mm-hmm. uh, industrial, what, whatever they're, they're looking at and they try to evaluate these these properties and ultimately because of the immense generosity of, of Marquette donors, they're able to, um, you know, actually purchase these yeah, properties make real investments and re- receive returns for the university and for these funds so that they can grow it and allow these, these next generations of students and these next years of students to, to have more to work with and yep. to be able to do more. And I mean, those are the things like that first program in the country, it's two years old and yep. students coming from something like that. I mean, 
would you rather so say you're a top-notch you know commercial real estate firm mm-hmm. would you rather hire someone who has legitimate proven showable experience analyzing properties and purchasing them and managing them or someone who's just learned about it i mean it's <laughs> there's no, no brainer yeah. yeah is this the future of higher education more applied learning programs i mean one you know on 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 this podcast we talk about trades coming back and things like that so you know is applied learning the future of higher education i don't you know i uh you know i, I study higher ed actually for my my dissertation work and I, I don't think it's the future. I don't think we've ever left it. But I, mm. I think as industry demands change, the ability of higher education to adapt to those demands uh, in, a quick, uh, in a quick way is sometimes constrained just because of the way we've evolved over time. You know? And, and I, I think the core is always going to be, you know, the way I talk about it is the core is always going to be this traditional, wonderful undergraduate experience you get that mixes in these things, but, but where universities, college, where they're going to be able to separate themselves out is how much closer they can bring the, the graduate they have to the graduate that business needs immediately stepping in on day one, you know? And so I think of students who are, you know, ready to ask the questions, right? Ready to engage, uh, understand the relationship, what they do to the rest of the business, um, be okay with ambiguity, you know, de- develop into amazing leaders, understand the role technology plays. You know, we don't live in a world where you can ignore technology. It, 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 it's yes. everywhere all around us all the time. So, you know, I, I think the future of higher ed is going to be creating that incremental value that complements the undergraduate education. At least that's my opinion. And that's the way I think about it. I, I would agree for the most part. I think, I think to a certain extent, this this applied learning and these these having these opportunities for students or potential students, I think in many ways, you know, for engineering schools, for business schools, for nursing, for for medicine, um, and obviously to, in nursing and medicine, those ones are already pretty pretty present. Um, I think it's going to become non negotiable to a certain yeah, extent a because of the fact with with the, the changing in technology and the, the changing of the the grasp of how close information is to you, it, it's becoming smaller and smaller and closer and closer. And I mean, if you think about like AI right now, like, I mean, professors around the country and, and high school teachers and middle school and elementary school teachers, maybe not elementary, like middle and high are freaking out because <laughs> everyone's got access to, uh, you know, artificial intelligence now that gives them the answer to, I mean, virtually, well, virtually anything. anything. <laughs> and, you know, I, th- I think that's going to present, uh, a front that that colleges are going to have to to adapt in order to survive or at least to prosper and thrive. Yeah, and what I'll say with that, which is really interesting, is people think about having to change, but I see it as evolution. I mean, I, when you yeah. evolve at your core, you're the same. So, I think what will never lose value is what you know. Five hundred years of Jesuit education has done already. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I yeah. and so hundred percent. How do you adapt to the challenges and the changing context? I thought it was a really insightful point. I appreciate that. Thank you. No, this is this is great. And and AI is actually a very popular topic on this show as well. So I'm glad yeah. you're able to find yeah. a way to work that. <laughs> beer is a very popular yeah. topic too. So we're we're covering all the bases. I feel like today. beer's the mainstay, right? <laughs> you know, and and this is a little bit of a, a of a side piece that I, I was thinking about. But I mean, talking about blue collar, um, you know, the shortage of blue collar workers that we that we are coming upon. Um, 
And I think kind of the extreme push that we tend to see in a lot of high schools of students to go to college as opposed to pursuing things like that. Um, you know, I uniquely experienced a little bit of a different thing at my high school. Um, I'm from Hampshire, Illinois, kind of right where it goes from anything resembling a suburb to pure farmland and country. And we had a, we had machining class. We had welding. We had woodworks. Um, really? Yeah, we had automotives where they would actually bring in cars. You work on cars. There's You, you learn to start with lawnmower engines, move up to cars and, and so on. And I think, I think that's something, again, similar to what we're talking about with universities is a shift that needs to happen in schools because there's, there's nothing wrong with going either direction, but right. just because college is right for someone doesn't mean it's right for someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get drawn into working in this, working up these ladders and the, in these worlds that they don't really enjoy. And I think a lot more people could be a lot more happy working with their hands. And that was one of the things that I loved about this project. <laughs> yeah. I loved working with my hands and it, yeah. was, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I did not expect the conversation to take this term, but it's cool to hear because in, in the manufacturing industry, this is a little insight into what the show's usually like, right? We're constantly talking about how there aren't enough skilled trades workers mm-hmm. yep. to jump in. But yeah. you're, uh, just out of curiosity, how did you become aware of that before you're even in industry? Was it through high school? Is it is it something that's being taught in universities right now? Um, I think I think a bit of, bit of both. Sure. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts on a lot of different subjects, and I hear a, a lot of people from different part, walks of life speak. Um. And then even closer to home, you know, my best friend, uh, shout out Matt, uh, he, he is uh, an HVAC tech and he's a year older than me, so he's 23 now, started and started and went to school for it for uh, six months, eight months, nine months, a year, something, yeah. like, something along those lines. I don't want to sound short. Um, <laughs> and then transitioned, moved down to Texas, was doing commercial and came back. And the amount that I've seen him is change and grow and learn as a person and quite literally develop his intellect it is astounding. And it just, I think there's a little bit too much of this old stigma that you go to college to learn, you go here to work. Yeah. You're going to work and learn in both yeah. places. I agree with that. Awesome. Awesome. Loving the way we're wrapping this up. I do want to hear about some of your lessons or lessons for the audience that you might be able to share. So, um, John, I'll start with you. You know, sure. I, I didn't necessarily plan on asking um, this one, but you know, what advice would you give to other universities that are still trying to get with this type of program? Right? What are the things you think you've done right with Innovation Alley that you're like, gosh, this is one thing I'd recommend for let's because the educator portion of our audience that's out there thinking, man, what can we do to to do better and provide more real world yeah, experience? I, you know, I think. It's, it's just recognizing that oftentimes you will be your own, you will be your own barrier. So um, I adopt a different operational methodology. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about let's think big, let's start small, and then let's discern on it and scale it and grow it. And, um, you know, this was a big idea, but we didn't have to make it this, this huge thing operationally. Like we figured out a way to do it where it was, it was definitely like, you know, desirable and it was feasible in how we designed it. You know, viability is a long-term concept. And, you know, I think we're lucky enough that we've seen such positive value that now we see the viability in the long, long run. Um, we just, you know, <laughs> you remember I wear an innovation hat. So I'm always trying to think outside of the, the status quo and, mm-hmm. and the box. And, and what I found is that there are incredibly innovative ways to do things that aren't necessarily all that 
tangentially different from some of the things we already do. So, so my advice uh, simply is it's okay to have a big idea. Don't shut that idea down with, uh, well, how's that ever going to happen? Because that's a type of self, um, self-gating that I think in higher ed, we get, we just, you know, from my experience, we get, we get involved in that a lot. Uh, and I think universities that are, are, are growing in their innovation capacities, and I'll say I've seen this at, at Marquette, is, is a lot more of the, the excitement around how do we make this happen? Like not, not as, how are we not going to be able to do this, yeah. but how yeah. are we going to be able to do yeah. this? And it's just yeah. a different mindset. That's, that's all it is. And um, again, this couldn't have happened though without a lot of support uh, of, of a whole variety of people, both internal Absolutely. and external to the university, um, you know, giving some trust and, and, and seeing the value in the, in the experience we were trying to build for the students. Awesome. Think outside the box. Think outside the, I said box. I'm thinking, I'm in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, <it's right>. <laughs> think outside the box, trust, alumni, a lot of factors that play into yep. this. Jackson, a, a little bit of a different question for you. Okay. You know, you're commercial real estate and finance. That's your major, I believe. Correct. Is yeah, that majors. Yeah. So double major. Double major. Yeah. Right. What advice would you give to college students that are thinking of pursuing a project that are like outside of mm. their specific major? Right. Again, Good there's question. a little finance involved in this, but yeah. to an extent, this is kind of a little, it's a little pivot from what you're, you're studying to do. Yeah, most certainly. Um, you know what? This ties into what John just previously said and something I've heard from Chuck Swoboda. Just stop pretending that the box exists, that you need to think outside the box. Just crush it. Throw it in the garbage. Pretend there, there's, there's no box there. Just because something isn't uh, supposedly fitting to what you're studying or what you think you're going to do does not mean that you will not draw or cannot draw an immense benefit um, in a lot of different ways. You know, experiences, I think having different experiences is what sets a lot of people apart and what gives them different perspectives, which make all the difference in jobs and life and relationships. I think that we all get this two in our heads. I got to do this. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm in real estate. I should do commercial real estate internship. Whereas I, I believe, and I've talked to a couple of people who in commercial real estate who agree that, that this is a far more beneficial experience. People are going to be like, wow, that's awesome. You did that instead of doing this when you're just going to go into your, your job and learn to do that anyway. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to both. Everything has pros and cons and that's what life's really about. I mean, to a certain extent, but if something interests you chase after it because that, that right there is what life is really about. The people who interest you, the experiences that interest you, the things you like doing, it's, you never know where it's going to take you. You never know. And I think that's really what it's, what it's about. Yeah. I remember when I was interviewing for one of my first jobs, and I had a, I had a pretty solid one-page resume, right? I'd interned at Anheuser-Busch <laughs> and things like that, but one of the interviewers was looking at it, and the thing that individual called out was, he was like, it's cool that you were a bartender. You probably learned a lot about dealing with <laughs> unruly people and things like that, <laughs> yeah. right? So every experience is worth something. I think you guys 100%. have highlighted that extremely well in this interview. Final question. What's the future of blue and gold brewing, right? Are we going to see another beer? And maybe we don't know what the answer is yet today, (laughs) but I mean, I loved 77. So I'm just hoping I'm going to get to have more of it or another iteration at some Uh, point. I I think you will see another beer. Uh, It won't be 77. It'll be a completely new, uh, new product, new branding, new identity. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you can expect this thing to to keep going. I love it. Absolutely. Hey, thank you both for taking the time to jump on the show. Final cheers. 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 And thanks so Th- much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to, gosh, we have a long list. Thank you to Marquette. Thank you to Innovation Alley. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jackson, and everyone involved that made today's episode possible. Also, big shout out to Broken Bat Brewing and my friend Tim Pauly, one of the owners over there. Thanks for letting us use the brewery for this interview. A lot of fun. Great spot. If you're ever in Milwaukee, definitely check them out. Then finally, I want to give shout-outs to the other team members that were part of Blue and Gold Brewing. You heard a lot about Grace in this interview. I also want to give a shout-out to Connor Nelson and Will Dales. Between them and Jackson, those four were the people really driving this project. So, hey, congrats on a huge success of a project. As always, if you want to learn more, if you want to access any of the resources we talked about in this episode... Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 133. It takes you to the show notes for today's episode, including links to all the breweries that we uh, that were involved in this project. Now, there were three of them. There was Broken Bat. There was Gathering Place Brewing. There was also Good City Brewing. All of those are located in Milwaukee. So, hey, the show notes page also doubles as a nice little brewery crawl should you ever find yourself in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right. Hey, it was a long interview today. I'm going to wrap things up. I want to give a shout out to both of our sponsors today. Traction, if you want to learn more about them, definitely listen to episode 127 featuring their founder, Igor Marinelli. We talk about maintenance. We talk about Industry 4.0. We talk about how the people on the plant floor are really driving innovation forward in manufacturing. It's a great one. Manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 127 will get you right there. Or check them out at traction.com. Then finally, hey, shout out to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. I've mentioned this before, but Automate 2023 is coming up. It's in Detroit, May 22nd through 25th. I'm going to be there. The rest of the industry is going to be there. If you're in manufacturing, if you're looking to leverage automation solutions, this is the show for you. It's free. You can register by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023. Then finally, finally, hey, if you like this episode, if you, li- if you like Manufacturing Happy Hour in general, if you've been listening for a while and just haven't gotten around to it, I'd love it if you could leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to this show. Apple Podcasts, it's a big one. That's where you leave that five-star rating and a review that can be just as short as a couple sentences. If you're listening on Spotify, hey, it's just a five-star rating. It's just on the main podcast page for Manufacturing Happy Hour. Hit that five-star button. It definitely helps us out. So thanks for sticking around this week. This was a fun one. We'll see you again next week. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.